Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, good morning. I am Pastor Mike. If we have not had the chance to meet, I'm the pastor of Discipleship and Multiplication, which means I'm always trying to think through how to help you grow. Thank you. And how to help you help others come to know Christ and grow. So here we go into 2022. And I remember a meme that came out in 2021 that said, we used to say, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Now we say, if it doesn't kill you, it mutates and tries again. So who knows what's coming in 2022? But there are some things that we know are going to be consistent. God's presence is available every single day, no matter how hard it gets. Also, God has called us to our particular mission in a particular place right now. And we're going to continue to live out that mission every day as we stay focused on Him. So those are a couple of things that don't change, even though everything around us feels like it always changes. One thing that I have found to be true is the capital C Global Church, every individual church, as well as each of us, including me and you, have this tendency to drift away from mission. We have this tendency to put priorities above mission, above Jesus's highest priority for us. So the sermon today is 2022, a year on mission. It's kind of a check-in to see how we're doing. If you watch Jesus, his words, his actions, his behaviors, what he focuses on, he's always on mission. Everything has intentionality. He's always drawing himself and his disciples and his followers back to mission. Today's going to be a what in a house sermon. A what in a house sermon. What I mean by that is we're going to talk about what is that mission and how then do we live it out? And we're going to answer those questions not by reading a church growth book, though those aren't bad. We're going to answer those questions by looking at the life of Jesus. How does he spend time with his disciples? What does he say? What does he not say? What does he do? What does he not do? Because as we look at him, we get the answer to what it means to be on mission and to live life on mission. There's three points we're going to look at. Number one is we're going to look at Jesus calling the disciples to mission. Second point is Jesus growing and equipping his disciples for mission. And finally, we'll look at Jesus sending out his disciples on mission. First point, Jesus calling the disciples to mission. This is where he discusses the what right away. Matthew 4.19 says, and I would love for you to memorize this verse if you don't have it memorized. He says to two guys sitting on the side of the Sea of Galilee, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Those two guys were brothers. They likely had fishing nets in their hands because they were fishermen. So Jesus kind of stops them in that moment while they're working. And he says, follow me, part one. Part two, follow me and I will make you, part three, fishers of men. Right from the very beginning, in that third part of what he says, he identifies for them what he is going to do, the process and the end goal. Fishers of men. Fishers of men means followers of Jesus who make more followers of Jesus. It's an illustration that works great for a fisherman. They catch fish and they teach other people to catch more fish. We are called, like they are called, to be disciples who make more disciples. We are called to be fishers of men. So that's the what, that's the forever what, and we're going to come back to that over and over again throughout our sermon. Also in Matthew 4, 19, he points to the how. Follow me and I will make you. So Jesus says right off the bat, in this process of taking you from where you are to becoming a disciple who makes disciples, fishers of men, Jesus himself will personally be involved with the process of making you from this to that. So the how has to do with Jesus. So as we go to point two, 
Jesus is going to grow and equip the disciples for mission. Now we're going into the how. And the way we're going to do this, picture it this way. Uh, picture that we're on a bus tour and we're on top of the bus, it's a double-decker bus. I've never been on one, but I'd love to be on a double-decker bus. So right now we're on a double-decker bus on the top and we're going to be heading down the road. We're going to be going at a pretty good speed. I'm just going to be pointing out things. So we're not going to stop in any one place for very long. I'm going to give you a feel of how we see Jesus growing his disciples and then also equipping them to do ministry. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. In that verse, Jesus is with his disciples and Peter's mother-in-law is sick. So they stop what they're doing and they go to Peter's house and he heals the mother-in-law. And after she's healed, it says she gets up and basically takes care of them. And he spends the day there with Peter and the disciples in Peter's home with Peter's family. What does that tell us? What does that teach us about Jesus? When Jesus calls his disciples, he then connects with them relationally and intentionally. He's in Peter's home. He's getting to know what it was like to be Peter when Peter was growing up. He gets to know his family and spends the day there. Jesus is personally involved with this process of making disciples who makes disciples. He's engaged in this process of how. Right after that, the group, the area finds out that Jesus is there and that he's healing people. Now, this house with the disciples are surrounded by a crowd. And Jesus begins healing people, healing after healing after healing. So he spends the afternoon healing people. At that point, Jesus switches from a crowd focus back to his disciples. So he starts the day with his disciples, focuses on the crowds, and brings it back to the disciples. And you're going to see this over and over again if you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So much of his time is spent focusing on the disciples. So he takes his disciples and says, jump in the boat. We're going to head across the Sea of Galilee. Now, these disciples, many of them were fishermen. So they're used to waves and winds. Like They can negotiate and handle the Sea of Galilee on a good day and on a bad day. Well, this wasn't just a bad day. This was the worst of days. They're out there on this boat, the disciples and Jesus, and they're afraid for their lives. This storm is kicked in. Waves are huge. Winds are gusting. They're ripping through. Jesus is sleeping. He's good. But the rest of them think they're going to die. So they wake up Jesus. And this is a moment for Jesus and the disciples. Jesus stands up and stills the winds. And he stills the waves. They all stop immediately. So the disciples, for one of the first times, sees Jesus go into action in a way where they're like, who is this man? Who can tell the waves to stop and the lake goes placid? Jesus is. So Jesus reveals himself and shows he is the maker and creator and ruler and sustainer of all things. And when he says, stop, it stops. If he's talking to the wind or to a person or to anything, it stops. That's the type of power that Jesus has. And that's a moment that was just for the disciples. The crowds didn't see that. Jesus set up an environment where the disciples saw it. The disciples got to see Jesus's power in action. A little bit later in Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, Jesus calls another disciple to himself. His name's Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. He's the writer of the gospel of Matthew. After Matthew decides to follow Jesus, Matthew then invites Jesus and the disciples back to his house. And then Matthew invites his friends to come join them. This is what it says in chapter 9, verse 10. Jesus was reclining in the house, at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus, and catch this, 
and with his disciples. So Jesus takes the disciples and takes them into the home of a sinner, of a tax collector, and spends the day. This was a big deal back then. You don't just invite anybody into your home, and you don't invite just anybody to your table. When you invite someone to your table back then is saying, we're friends. We're in this together. So Jesus, by sitting at this table, is saying, I'm here for you. I'm interested in having a relationship with you. And he takes his disciples and goes against everything they've probably heard, and they also sit at the table. Jesus is preparing them for mission. He's showing them what it looks like to be on this making disciples mission. It's not about being with the religious leaders. It's not about pretending you're better than everyone else. It's sitting at the table with anyone and everyone because there's no one better, there's no one worse. So Jesus demonstrates this. This is a big moment for these disciples. In Luke chapter nine, as we continue on our bus tour, we point over to Luke chapter nine. And in Luke chapter nine, he takes the 12 disciples and he sends them out on mission. He spends quite a bit of time instructing them and preparing them. But let's be honest, this is very early in Jesus's ministry. These folks don't have any clue what they're doing. They don't have a seminary degree. They haven't been with Jesus for three years. They've been with Jesus possibly for months. And they haven't even seen a lot of what is yet to come. They're still probably even confused in what Jesus is trying to accomplish. But he goes ahead and sends them out on mission. And they're gone for a while. He pairs them up and they go from village to village, town to town. They're healing, they're preaching, they're casting out demons. And then when they come back, it says that Jesus discusses with them what happened. He debriefs. So he sends them out to put hands on mission, to actually do things before they feel completely competent. They go out and they start doing mission. So it's possible that sometimes God will call you to get out of your comfort zone. It's possible that sometimes he'll call you into doing some sort of mission or having some sort of a conversation or to serve in a capacity that you're not sure if you're ready for. Well, that's part of the process. That's what Jesus does. He calls the disciples to get a little uncomfortable. He doesn't wait until the end of his ministry to do it. He does it at the beginning of his ministry. So they go out and they experience a ton of things. They learn a ton. And then Jesus spends some time with them and talks through it with them. This is Jesus equipping and growing his disciples. Luke 10, the 12 have gone out, the 12 have returned. Now Jesus grabs 72, 72. Many of these 72 did not see Jesus calm the waves and the wind. Many of these 72 haven't seen lots of things that Jesus has done and hasn't heard lots of things that Jesus has said. And he sends them out on mission, two by two. So Jesus continues to equip and to send his disciples out on mission in Matthew 13. Here's a chapter where Jesus teaches two different parables. So he does one on the sower and one on the tares. And we're not going to talk about what those are. What I want you to notice is what he does in this chapter. He teaches the crowd the parable of the sower, and then he grabs his disciples and says, hey, this is what that meant. So he circles up with the disciples and makes sure that they really understand what the parable of the sower was all about. And then he preaches the next parable, the parable of the tares. And he does the same thing. He pulls the disciples in close and says, I want to make sure you fully understand what I was talking about there. So there's this ministry to the crowds, but then there's this equipping and this growing and this intentionality with his disciples, with his crew. So he goes deeper with them and teaches them what it all meant. This is huge for the disciples. Matthew 16 this whole chapter, we could preach Matthew 16 for multiple weeks. But to sum it up, in Matthew 16, Jesus 
slows down with his disciples, and he makes sure that they understand who he is. It becomes very clear that Jesus alone is the Christ, the Messiah. He's the one that everyone has been looking for, that everyone has been longing for. It's him. There's nowhere else to look. It is Jesus is this coming Christ, this Messiah. And then he goes on to say that he is going to die and raise from the dead three days later. And he's saying this only to his disciples. So the disciples are not left in the dark. From the very beginning, beginning, Jesus is saying, this is who I am. This is what's going to happen. I want you to be prepared. So Jesus has them be a part of his in crowd. He keeps them knowing what's going on. And in that same chapter, after he acknowledges to them that he is the Christ indeed, that he will die, that he will raise from the dead, he gives them some hard teaching. He lets them know that following him and living life on mission will not be easy. He says this in verses 24 and 25 of Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and then take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So in this process of following Jesus, there's this call where he says you have to lay down, you have to deny, you have to put down your desires so that you can take up his priorities, his desires. This is this life lived according to the cross by carrying your cross. If you're just focused on your desires, you can't pick up the cross because it's all about you or it's all about me. The next verse talks about the fact, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? So we think that life and enjoyment comes from focusing on our priorities. But what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, if you can just put that down and pick up my priorities and live life and pick up your cross, that's where you find joy. That's where you find life. You think it's there, but it's here. You can, you can get all of that, but you lose your soul. So Jesus gives them some hard teaching. And it's the same teaching that we need to hear. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple, I want to be this disciple. Most of you want to be his disciple. So that means this is coming. This is a part of it. Every day, there's this battle. My priorities, my desires, his priorities, his desires. Will I set it down so that I can pick it up? So this process of following Jesus is hard. You need to know, sometimes it will feel like loss. Sometimes it will feel like death. But truly, it is the only pathway to life. If we had time, we would go through the rest of the Gospels and just keep underlining the words, his disciples, his disciples. And if you did that, you would see all these additional miracles that only the disciples saw. Little moments just for Jesus and his crew. Like the transfiguration where Jesus displays his incredible glory to just a few. They see that life transforming. Only Jesus reveals himself in the Garden of Gethsemane in a place of pain and internal torment. Like in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's just him and the disciples. It says he's weeping tears of blood, that he's overwhelmed to the point of death. And who sees it? Only the disciples see Jesus in that intimate, difficult moment. He circles his crew up and he walks through life, the valleys and the shadows the mountaintops and the difficult moments are with his disciples, with his crew. One more stop on our bus tour. 
So Luke 22, verse 14, for whatever reason, is a verse that just gets me through lots of really hard things. So I want to pass it on. This is just another example of how Jesus loves his disciples and is deeply connected to them relationally. In Luke 22, verse 14, it is the Passover feast. It's the Passover supper before Jesus goes to the cross. It's the last time that he's going to eat a meal with people before he returns in his resurrected body. And in this moment, he walks into this upper room and he says this to his disciples. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover supper with you before I suffer. If it was me, I'd be only focused on the suffering that's coming. That's not Jesus. Jesus's focus in that moment before incredible torment are the people that he's with, his disciples. He's all in with these disciples. He walks into the room and he knows what's coming. The disciples, they have no clue. He knows. And his response to the moment is he looks him in the eye and says, I've longed to be here in this moment with you. This is the word of God. Luke is not exaggerating. He's not pretending like Jesus has feelings that he doesn't actually have. Jesus is emotionally deeply connected to this crew, to this group. He is looking forward to, he's longing for the moment to be with them. As a follower of Jesus, when I am struggling at wanting to connect with him, this reminds me that he eagerly longs to connect with me. So sometimes when I'm struggling to do a quiet time, to get time with him, the thought that he's looking forward to being with me gets me back in my Bible. It gets me to sit down at the table. It reminds me of my desperate need for him. Who am I that he would long to be with me? But if you're a follower of Jesus, he eagerly desires to spend time and to be with you, even in your darkest moments. So even if life is hard, even if we're denying things and it feels like death and loss, I have a savior who loves me and you have a savior who loves you. It eagerly desires to spend time with you. The third point is Jesus sending the disciples out on mission. So we're going to look at two passages, one in John 20, and then we're going to look at Matthew 28. John 20, 21 says this, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I now send you. Peace be with you. As the father sent me, I now send you. Notice that Jesus is the first sent one. Jesus was sent on mission by the Father. So when you and I are trying to live life on mission, we're not out there by ourselves, out there like trailblazing. We're following in the footsteps of the first one who was sent, Jesus. He's the first apostle. So we as sent ones, we as disciples of Jesus who are trying to live out mission are simply following our Savior, who was the first one who was sent. Now, notice that first phrase where it says, peace be with you. In John 20, he says that more than once. For some reason, he associates this peace be with you with this sending nature of sending the disciples out to make more disciples. He told them in Matthew 4 that you're going to be fishers of men. You're going to be disciples who I'm going to send out to make more disciples. Here, he sends them out. He says, peace be with you. So the end of our services, you're going to notice in our benedictions, we always say, peace be with you. And sometimes I think it's easy to assume that we're just saying, 
I want you just to have a great week. And that's what peace be with you means. There's more significance to it because it ties into Jesus's words. Peace be with you for now on. I want you to hear it this way. Be sent forth in the power of Jesus to live life on mission each and every day of your life. Jesus sends us out with this form of peace. This is the thought process when Jesus says that. It's deeply connected to being sent ones. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, uh, this section is called the Great Commission. There's a guy named George Barna, and George Barna does a lot of research to find out where the culture's at and where the church is at. So if you read his books, you kind of get a feel for what's going on in broader society. He asked the question to churchgoers. So these are people that go to church. He asked the question, have you heard of the Great Commission? 51% said, nope. 25% said, yes, but I really don't know what it means. And then 17% said, yes, and I think it means dot, dot, dot. Over 75% of people that go to church in America do not know what the Great Commission means or what it's all about. I do not want us to be a part of that 75%. If George Barnett comes next week, I want all of us to be able to tell him exactly what it is and what it means. But it is often misunderstood. So in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, kind of the centerpiece of it is the section that says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That phrase, which is the center of it, is often misunderstood. If I were to ask you which of those words is the command in the Great Commission, oftentimes people will tell me the word go, that the thing that I'm being called to do here is to go. So if I'm going to make disciples, I have to go somewhere. The reality is that there's only one command here, and the command is make disciples. Make disciples is the command in the Greek. Go can be translated as you're going, while you're going, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, make disciples. So the go points to being a disciple and making disciples anywhere and everywhere all the time. I've been asked this question. I think this is a good question. So Mike, what's more important then? The great commandment, Jesus was challenged and asked the question, what's the most important thing? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. Or is the most important thing the great commission? Does it go like this, Mike, or does it go like this? What's more important? What's above the other? Jesus bridges the gap to change the way that that question works. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I've commanded. If you love me, you'll obey and do what I've asked you to do. So that you can't distinguish the two. So instead of looking at the question like this, is it this or is it this? It looks like this in Jesus's mind. If you love me, you'll obey what I've asked you to do. They're best friends. The great commandment and the great commission are best friends. People who love Jesus and love the Lord will live life on mission. They will make disciples because if you love him, you'll do what he asked you to do. The two go together. So the next question that kind of should come to mind is, according to the great commission, how then do I live this out? If I'm commanded to make disciples... How do I then do it? The verse says this, we make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. There's two pieces there. There's baptizing and there's teaching. To make disciples, to live out this mission, we baptize those who believe. 
What that means is that we're going to share the gospel with those that don't know Jesus, that they might believe, and then we baptize those who believe. But there's, it's not done then. The next piece is teaching. We teach people to do all that Jesus has commanded. That's part of the Great Commission. So every time you instruct your kids on how to walk with Jesus, every time you talk to a Christian friend about what the Bible says, you are helping make disciples and fulfill the Great Commission. So there's two components. We're sharing the gospel and we're growing in the gospel. So here's one thing that just sticks out to me, I think is really neat. What that means is no matter where you go, no matter who you're talking to, there is no environment or situation where you can't live on mission. Either you're sharing the gospel or you're helping someone grow in the gospel. There's not a single person in your life that isn't a part of this great commission. So you can be living life on mission with every single person in your life all the time. So when he says, while you're going, as you're going, no matter where you go, make disciples, you can actually live that out according to what the great commission is. So every single person in your life Every day, all day is a part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is all around you all the time. If I had time, I would love to go through Mark and Luke and John a little bit more in depth and go to the book of Acts and then go through the epistles and talk to you more about making disciples. But just trust me, it's there. It's everywhere. So if we were to summarize the what, if we were to summarize the mission, it's this simple. We make disciples of Jesus. We make disciples of Jesus. This is our forever mission. It doesn't change. There's no secondary mission. It's our forever mission. Now until Jesus returns, it's our forever mission. It is the engine of the church. If you lose disciples making disciples, then the church stops growing. It stops moving forward. There are so many churches where the doors are closing, but there's also so many churches where they've stopped making disciples of Jesus. Without the engine, the church doesn't go anywhere. If the mission is to make disciples, it means the mission is not bigger buildings. It's not more comfortable chairs. It's not better music. It's not budgets. It's not butts and seats. What it means is the mission is to use all of those things to make disciples. So everything we do, whether it's to make the world beautiful, to do cool things, to build pavilions, it's got to be for a singular purpose, to make more disciples. If we buy into this being the mission, then pandemics don't slow down our mission. It doesn't matter if we meet here because we can live out the Great Commission every day of our life, whether we're here or we're someplace else. It doesn't matter if there's persecution it doesn't matter if there's scarcity. Nothing can slow down disciples making disciples. It can't be stopped. There's a very large country in the Far East where it's illegal to be a Christian. You can't meet together. Statistically, we're almost certain right now that that church is bigger and growing faster than this church. They're not allowed to identify as Christian they're not allowed to meet publicly and they're growing faster than the American church because they get mission. I'm a disciple who makes disciples. And if you get mission, you grow, you flourish, regardless of the environment around you. There is no backup plan. There is no plan B. If making disciples doesn't work, Jesus doesn't then come in and say, well, try this. This is the plan, the mission. There is no other mission. So from the day Jesus came and started his ministry, he said, fishers of men, 
make disciples of Jesus. The last day of his ministry, he says, we make disciples of Jesus. It's the forever plan from day one to the day he comes back and makes all things new. It's the mission. It's what we're called to be and what we're called to do. So as Bible-centered church, how do we live out this mission? How do we make sure that we're faithful to it? How are we growing and equipping ourselves to really live out what he's called us to do? So we've watched Jesus. Just to remember, Jesus connected deeply with his disciples. He connected to the disciples and he connected the disciples to one another. So there's connection. Jesus spends time with his disciples and grows them where they get to know who he is, his words, his teachings. He grows them. He also sends them out and equips them. They actually do it with their mouths and their hands and their time and their priorities and their resources. resources they do ministry. Jesus equips them. And finally, as we just saw, Jesus also sends them out. He multiplies his disciples. So for us here at Bible Center Church, I want these four words to be our four words that last for at least 10 years. This is our strategy. We connect, we grow, we equip, and we multiply. We connect people to Jesus and we connect people to the church. We help them grow in their love for Jesus. We equip them how to be a disciple who makes disciples. Then we set them up to multiply and to grow and to grow and to grow. So when it comes to application of this sermon, I'm gonna consider it twofold. What I mean by that is there's certain things that the church has been called to do. Like we're called, the church is called to help those who are in the church to have the tools and the equipping to live out the Great Commission. But then as the folks in the church, we're called to jump into those things and to live life on mission using those tools, taking advantage of those opportunities. So let's work through those four words. And I'm going to share with you some stuff that you might not even know that we have and share with you some stuff that you might not even know that we're doing to then encourage you to jump in where you feel led so that you can be living life on mission as much as possible. So for the church, the church, when it comes to connecting, Every Sunday, we have a connect table right out there. If you meet someone new, I would love for you to be in a position to build a relationship and connect them to Paula or Matt Garrison, who's out of the connect table. When they connect out there, we then follow up. We try to build a relationship with them. We introduce them to Jesus and ways to go deeper in the church. It's a great way for you to help in connecting people, making disciples. We have a gospel track. It's right out here at the front desk. You'll hear us say the gospel in 10 words. It's a simple relational way to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus. We have those tracks right out here. If you keep one in your pocket, in your car, it'll help you in a moment where you're ready to have a conversation. On your phone, I'm assuming you always have your phone with you. On that phone, if you go to the Bible Center app and click follow Jesus, there's a three minute video presenting the gospel. If you're in a position where you're just not sure what to say, you can always do this. Pull out your phone, go to that video and just say, I'd love to hear what you think about this video. It's three minutes. Would you be willing to listen and just share with me your thoughts? Put your phone down, let them watch it or share it with them. It starts a spiritual conversation. We also have out here some following Jesus devotionals. This devotional would work great for someone who's trying to figure out if they really want to place their faith in Jesus, it walks through the gospel. You could go through it while they're going through it and have a conversation. This devotional also works really well for someone who's trying to figure out how to go deeper into the church. Those are also located right out here at the front desk. If you think you could use one, 
use one. Those are tools for you. The track, the video, and the devotional. Those are all ways to help you share the gospel with people in your life. So your step is to use those tools. Invite a friend to church. Uh, invite a coworker to come with you. Use these tools for spiritual conversations. Walk someone over to the connect table. If you've been a part of our TV audience for over a year now and you've never connected with us, I encourage you today to connect with us online with Matt Garrison. We want to help you grow as well. The next word is the word grow. Growth comes from consistency in God's word and in prayer with one another. Growth comes from consistency in God's word and in prayer with one another. So what we want to do is create environments where you can do that. Every single Sunday, we've got small groups all around the church that you can connect on a deeper level with people, where there's content and there's connection. There's relationships and there's God's word. In the future, we're going to have more and more groups as the pandemic relieves, but we're going to have groups available for you to do that. Equipping. So the equipping piece is the church going out of their way to help you to know how to share the gospel, knowing how to read God's word, knowing how to grow spiritually and help the people around you grow spiritually. So there's a couple things that we've provided. If you go to our website or you go onto our app, we have tons of core classes available to you teaching you basic doctrines, basic what the Bible says about lots of different things. Take advantage of that. There's ones on prayer. There's ones on reading God's word. There's ones on lots of different things. Those are opportunities to equip you and to help you. We also have discipleship groups. Presently, discipleship groups work this way. You have to be in a group for a year, and then you get to lead a group. Most of the time that you're in a group, you're going through the details of how to study God's word correctly. But there's not a lot of time for relationships, and you don't have a lot of time to be in God's word. Just pressing through it. It's great, but in two weeks, we're going to launch Discipleship Groups 2.0. In these groups, everyone has access to the material. There's not one leader. Everyone's a leader. Everyone's a learner. In Discipleship Groups 2.0, relationships take center stage. So now you're learning how to read God's Word, and then you spend time in God's Word. It's you and a group of people who commit together to spend a certain amount of time discipline, reading God's word and discussing God's word and praying for each other. So those are going to be launched in two weeks. So that's the church's step. Our step is to then set aside time to be in those groups. In two weeks, I'll be back in this pulpit. We're going to talk more about that. And the final one is multiply. Anywhere where you're involved, where the gospel's being preached or people are growing in Christ, there should be multiplication. Where there's one group, Lord willing, one day there's two. Where there's one Christian, Lord willing, there becomes two. So to multiply means that whatever you're involved with, invite other believers to be a part of it. We never circle our wagons as Christians. Can you imagine going to the gates of heaven and Jesus says, we're full, there's no room left for you. So when it comes to our groups and our circles of friends, we always want to keep the door open. Let more people come in. That's how we multiply. It's how the gospel grows. It's how we make disciples. So last step. Every Sunday, as we end the service and you hear someone up front say, peace be with you, I want it ground into your mind that as a moment to reset yourself on mission, to ask yourself the question, how am I going to make disciples this week? Who do I need to talk to? What conversations do I need to have? Take that next step in that discipleship process. 2022, a year on mission. Let's ask God for his help. Father, we come before you as your children who desperately need your help. Jesus, you're the one who makes us into disciples who make more disciples. So empower us, strengthen us, grow us, equip us. 
Allow us to live life on mission for you. May we take up our cross daily and deny our desires for yours, for that is the pathway of joy and life. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 